The tournament is upon us. UCLA has to have their things go their way, and they got to reach a checklist of sorts to win the national championship. What do they need to do? Well, we'll tell you on Locked On UCLA. Let's get it. You are Locked On UCLA, your daily podcast on the UCLA Bruins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, everybody. I'm Zach Anderson, the Oxnard, alongside Max Kelton. This is Locked On UCLA. Thanks for tuning in and making it your first listen each and every day. It's free wherever you get your podcast. And it's available on YouTube, where we're very close to getting 1,000 subscribers. We thank, for, thank you for your support. Hit that red subscribe button, and we'll thank you so, so much. Max, we're going to get right to it. UCLA, while they have a pretty decent draw as a two-seed in the West, they still have to have things go their way, and there are certain keys they have to play in during games. What do you think UCLA has to do to avoid an upset in the early rounds or before the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight? First things first, it's foul trouble. This is a team that has struggled with depth toward the end of uh, end of the season. Jalen Clark's injury, we, we don't know about Bona. So you, you can't get into foul trouble. You can't allow teams to, to go to the free throw line on you. And frankly, you need your players throughout the entirety of the game. So that depth is crucial at this time of the year. And if this Bruin team does get into foul trouble, we saw what it looks like in that Pac-12 championship against a really good Arizona squad, they will utilize that lack of depth to win basketball games at the end. Yeah, you could see Arizona. There's not many teams exactly drawn up like Arizona. where they've. It's been documented all year through various outlets, but the, the blast of the past, how they had their two bigs, UCLA, I'm not entirely sure, will have to deal with multiple skilled bigs that Arizona can go to one way or the other. But, you know, in this tournament, you're going to have to potentially run through some teams that are pretty big and will get your people, to, your players, to jump up and up fake and commit a foul. For me, I think UCLA, in terms of my first checklist, needs to find a way. Think of, they might meet Gonzaga in the Sweet 16, right? Remember Heartbreak City? It's, it's March Madness time. They're starting to flow those, that game on YouTube. Adam Morrison with the tears and everything in between. But I think one of these games, if UCLA is to make a run, they'll be down within they'll be down five six points there might be two minutes left I don't know if it's the first round I don't know if it's the final four any round in between but they will be down late in the game and they will have to use that defense where they don't deserve the win but they'll have to win a game that they don't deserve to win they flat out maybe were outplayed but sure because of their grit and tenacity which we saw almost with Arizona they were playing all right and grinded it out to the end despite no big men in that game against Arizona's bigs and they almost did it while they weren't trailing, I think UCLA will have a game this year in the tournament where they're down six, they'll win it. We'll be like, my goodness, Twitter will be aflame, social media, UCLA, Heartbreak City 2.0, something like that, which makes UCLA get a comeback win. What are your thoughts, Max? Hey, you're absolutely right. And this championship, for the Bruins at least, will not be won on the offensive side of the ball. You know, don't get me wrong, scoring is what gets you, you know, gets you points, but it won't propel you over the other team. It's it's limiting scoring on the defensive side. And that's one of the reasons why this team throughout the entire season up until, you know, that Pac-12 um, finale was, was really good because Jalen Clark led a, a defensive unit that was one of the top teams in the country 
at stopping opponents from scoring the ball efficiently. And, you know, since then, it's been difficult for, for the Bruins to, to lock into that same defensive prowess. Now, you know, you look at this team and toward the end, like a guy like Amari Bailey who could pop off on the offensive side of the ball. Jaime, Jaime Hawkins, player of the year, we know what he can do. But it's not going to be their offense. It's not going to be their scoring that will win them this championship. They have to be able to limit on the defensive side and especially in the paint. And once again, that gets to be my key because they're they're thin at that forward position. You know, they they can't get into foul trouble. And then they have to be able to get out and run. This is a team that's really quick. So they have to be able to work on that fast break and then score uh, in transition. Yeah, it's been a very underrated part of UCLA's game this year. The defense turned into quick offense, whether it's Tiger running it, Jaime getting a steal when Jalen Clark was out there. And I believe Jalen Clark recently named National Defensive Player of the Year Award finalist. So that's what you eat. So your point about the defense, who's going to step up? And we wonder what a Dem bonus health is. There's not truly been an update, at least from what I've seen at this recording of this podcast in terms of, hey, what is he fully go? He's expected. We're all expecting him to be in uniform that Thursday night against UNC Asheville. But your point is, is you're correct, and we'll talk about this later in the podcast, hint, hint, talking about UNC Asheville's post player or players, that they can maybe make an impact for against UCLA. And that's just one of many potential opportunities UCLA will have to deal with in this. For me, another part of the checklist, I think – there's two guys that need takeover games. I think Bailey needs to have, of course, a great tournament to go get himself drafted high. We would love him to come back one more year. Unlikely, considering his stock is rising. With Clark out, Bailey has to be a focal point. I think Amari Bailey has to go win a game for UCLA. He needs to go get a career high of 30 points. It doesn't need to be game one. It could be a game where he just takes over. We saw that in the Pac-12 tournament where he started, oh, nearest career high, equaling his season slash career high as a true freshman, and he's about to blossom. And sometimes we see guys 30-point outings, especially in college, that is a takeover game, especially in the tournament, where if you're playing UCLA, that game might be 61-59 like the Pac-12 tournament final. 30 points is half or more than half of your points. So if Bailey has such a takeover game where he can just get to the rim so easily against teams that aren't your conference foes, that haven't truly seen him, that could be in my mind, a big key for UCLA to win. So I'm thinking, all right, got to get that Mari Bailey takeover. And then I think Hawkes has to play like a national player of the year. Not that he hasn't, but there's a difference between, all right, four for 10 and 15 and eight to 29 and 15, which he's been posting a lot of those numbers lately. He needs to do that at least two more to three times throughout potentially six games to a title in order for UCLA to come through your final thoughts, Max? Well, I think that, you know, while, while you're focused on, on a couple of players having really big games, one of the keys to winning a national championship, especially for this UCLA team that lacks depth, is playing together. They need to play on the same plane as each other, and that means getting everybody involved. You saw in that Pac-12 championship, David Singleton, three shots, one three-pointer. He missed all of them, zero scoring. That is unacceptable for the player who's played the most games in UCLA history, for the player that leads the Pac-12 in three-point shooting percentage, 43% from outside. You have to be able to get him involved. Unacceptable if he cannot get into a scoring rhythm. No, I guess – I no, I, I, I get it. 
that Arizona was able to lock down Singleton. And I'm sure that was one of the keys moving forward for that that team in the Pac-12 championship, having already seen the Bruins twice this season. But now UCLA will play against a bunch of teams that haven't seen them in person. They don't know what the Bruins are capable of, and they're not comfortable playing against a Bruin team that gets out and runs and shoots the ball well. And that shooting starts with that young man, David Singleton. He needs to be involved on the offensive side, and you have to find a way to, to get everybody into rhythm. Final point for me, Max. You're talking about get the whole team together. I'm going to piggyback off of that. Let's get to it. Bench scoring has not been some of the biggest and best things for UCLA this year. It's been far, few and far between because when Singleton was hitting threes off the bench, yes, earlier in the season, when Amari Bailey came back to bench, got a little deeper, throwing either Singleton or Bailey as he was sometimes off the bench. But now the bench is between Nuba and Etienne, and then you have Dylan Andrews and Will McClendon and, dare I say, Abramo Zonko, who we haven't seen too much this year. Or maybe someone, dare I say, unexpected in a weird moment. Those are the guys who are expected coming off the bench. But for UCLA, a bench scoring game plus for them is 10 more than 10 points. If they get more than 10 points from their bench, they should not lose that game. And I think the bench might have to go win a game, right? Andrews had eight points. And if he hits that three, UCLA's bench, I believe, has 11 to 12 points against Arizona. And he wins the game. And that's how the bench would have won the game, right? They would have impacted the way Etienne grinded grabbing rebounds. Nuba grinded all game long. And while it might not come in scoring, a lot of what UCLA would love to get is that bench scoring that can help. A lot of my things you can see are offensive, and you're going more defense, stay in the game. And these are both two sides of the argument. UCLA needs to find depth scoring, and they have to make sure they can maintain their defensive intensity without getting into foul trouble. They all play together and stay together as one. That is how UCLA can win a title. Those are the things that need to happen in order for UCLA to maintain being one of the top teams in the country. In the meantime, we didn't forget about UCLA women's basketball. We're going to talk about their potential road to a deep tournament run and what does Sac State look like? They're, they're a sneaky good team. What, what are they good? Is Are the Bruins on upset alert with Corey Close at home? Dare I say no? Let's talk about FanDuel because FanDuel Sportsbook is now partnered with us here at Locked On because at the end of you know, the NBA season, you might want to go to FanDuel because they're the number one sports book in America. A no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. You can get the app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So don't miss your chance with a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 back in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel the official sports betting partner of Locked On and with us in the NBA as well. So check it out. Make it happen. Cruising on, second segment of Locked On UCLA. We talked hoops. We'll talk men's hoops later in the show. We'll preview a bit more of UNC Asheville. Who are they? The Bruins on upset alert? I don't know. But the UCLA women very might, might very much be on upset alert. They play Sac State and the women's side of the tournament to maybe reduce travel costs and kind of have these hubs. The first two rounds are generally hosted by a host school. And if you're a top four school, kind of like baseball, you get to host a first four hub, you know, now that they have the first four in women's in the field of 68. But here they are. UCLA gets to host, I believe, what is it, Oklahoma. And then they have Sac State. I forget who's the other team on the other side with Oklahoma, Max. But UCLA gets to play Sac State. And you've seen UCLA play as terrible as they get against the mid-major. 
and they still almost lost, and they came back to win. And I've seen Sac State in person. Sac State is really good. What are your thoughts about the Bruin women? Well, there's so much going into it that I I can I can talk about this for hours. But Charisma Osborne is elite. She's one of the best scorers in the country. Not just that, a leader. She's nearing 2,000 points on her career, over over 1,700 at this point. Um, and just so much fun to watch her and Kiki Rice and Gabriela Hawkes a tandem on this team. That said, though, they're playing against a, a really solid Sac State squad that just is is so good on every aspect of the scoring. And who is it? Okay, Kalaja Dean. Kalaja Dean. That's what it is. Uh, 21 points per game. She's one of the top scorers in the country, number 11 right now, a transfer out of Oakland. She's really good. Tremendous field goal percentage for this team as well. They're super, super efficient. Um, and and they, they're just really good at scoring the ball and shooting the three-pointer. Um, you know, they, they, have, they have one of the top three-point shooters in the country. They shoot, shoot the ball from three at the number four clip in the country. Sac State is a an elite scoring team. The Bruins have to be on their fundamentals. Yeah, if UCLA doesn't come to play defense in this game, if they're, if they have to score the basketball. You know, this team for Corey Close, if Charisma Osborne goes 5 for 18, UCLA is on upset alert. And yes, there's Kiki Rice, London Jones, people who can step up, Gina Conti, even Bessoir hit a couple of big-time threes en route to that, I think, all-tournament team nomination in the Pac-12 tournament a couple weeks ago, considering the UCLA women also fell a little bit short in the tournament final against Wazoo. But UCLA is battle-tested. That's why it makes predicting what this team is going to do with some senior leadership, one of the best players to come through the UCLA program. Osborne's really good, but you have a lot of youngsters. And with UCLA getting that monkey off their back in terms of beating Arizona, beating them down, coming back to beat Stanford, but then they couldn't finish off the deal against a very streaky and good underrated Washington State team, but UCLA went to Stanford and almost hung with them twice. They played the likes of South Carolina on the road and led in the fourth quarter, right? They were leading back and forth against Gamecocks, who was the number one overall seed, and unfortunately UCLA, I believe, is in their quadrant of the bracket. So that will be an earlier matchup more than ever. So while UCLA could very well lose game one, I am not far-fetched in saying I think this team could make it deep to an Elite Eight or Final Four with as topsy-turvy and as up and down and competitive equity or, you know, it's just how it's been this season. Sac State can beat this UCLA team. Let's get that to you straight. They can beat UCLA, and I'm not joking. They can, and they possibly will. But I also think UCLA could easily go as far as the Elite Eight, Final Four. That's how weird this season has been for the Bruins. You're absolutely right. And that's one of the most interesting things about this pull for the Bruins, where they are in the bracket. Let's walk that down. Now, you saw Sac State earlier in the year, and anybody who's followed women's basketball all season long has known that they're an elite team, really good at closing out games. And they're never out of it, whether they're down by five with less than a minute left, or whether they're heading to overtime, even even in, in, in a deeper presence. You know, this is a team that can score in spades. They do a really good job of that. Um, that said, though, you know, if UCLA is to move on, they'll play a team likely like Oklahoma, another uh, a team in the Big 12 who, you know, if you were to pay attention to what Oklahoma does well on the women's side, it's very similar to what Baylor does well on the men's side. One of the best scoring teams in the country, second in the country in scoring offense, uh, third in the country in field goal efficiency, but an awful defensive team. And you know, in the history has shown us 
that, you know, deep defense is, is what moves you on through this tournament. Terrific offensive teams are often bounced in the first round or the second round. And I think that that might be the case with Oklahoma and, and frankly, Baylor on the men's side. That's what, as a Gaucho fan, a UCSB Gaucho fan, I'm hoping for. Now, I did see these Bruins in person earlier this year um, when they, they came up to UC Santa Barbara. And the Gauchos, in the first quarter, outscored UCLA 20-4. to I think it was the lowest scoring quarter of the season for the Bruins. It was really shocking to see because of, of how good UCLA had been prior to that. But it was because they had just played against South Carolina. Zach, you alluded to it. They had led for three quarters and then couldn't hold on to that lead. Here's what's most difficult about this bracket for UCLA. They're set up for a Sweet 16 matchup if the chalk holds with South Carolina. And regardless of whether they win that game or lose that game, I think that they'll be gassed afterward. That's what makes things so difficult. When you play against South Carolina, it's not just the game that's in front of you. It's the game following. And I I don't see this team first. It's really difficult to beat South Carolina because, hey, nobody's done it all year. 32-0. They're a tremendous team. So good at closing out. Aaliyah Boston averaging a near double-double. She's a, one of the best players in the country. And they're the best team in the country. So they're going to close out games really well. Second, you know, uh, if you do manage to beat South Carolina, you might be gassed. You might be gassed and not have any energy to, to move on after that. And, you know, so I think an Elite Eight would be a tremendous feat for a team that didn't make the NCAA bid last year. And uh, the Bruins have all the pieces to go far, but they, they had a bad pull in their bracket. Yeah, they, you know, with those losses during Pac-12 play, the one thing was avoid South Carolina at all costs, and yeah. they didn't. And they have a tough first round. They could have an even tough second round matchup. But they do get to play it at home. So we hope that y'all go and pack out Pauley Pavilion. I don't think it's supposed to be terrible weather. So I know we might want to be outside. But go into Pauley Pavilion and pack it out for the UCLA women and see how that goes. Because that will be extremely entertaining. To see some probably very entertaining down-to-the-wire finishes, I think. This might be a very exciting part of the bracket out in Los Angeles, out in Westwood. As we check out the UCLA women. So we're both in consensus that, hey, UCLA could lose early. They could go deep in the tournament, but maybe not national championship good because at some point their magic and their lack of ability in most times this year in terms of closing out games has been a major sore spot in terms of a truly national championship contender worthy season. And they're good. They're really good. It's just... To, to get them, especially on the women's side, it's very, very, it's been usually very top-heavy. And it will take a monumental effort to go through and get through a, an interesting home uh, home slate and then take on the, the you know, the, the giant that is South Carolina, the, the latest giant in women's college basketball. But that's all we have to say about the women. We'll talk about them a little bit more when their game comes and happens and everything in between, for better or for worse. But in the meantime... We're going to shift our focus one more time to UCLA men's basketball. As we cruise into the third segment of UCLA men's hoops, we're going to do a little bit more in-depth preview to kind of end this show about UNC Asheville. Because, as we alluded to earlier, X bringing it up, foul trouble will be key for UCLA. And, hey, as much as you don't want to say yay or nay or 100%, UCLA will play angry after losing to Arizona. We saw last year a 15 seed went to the Elite Eight for the first time 
in the NCAA tournament's history. So now we have to respect 15 seeds a little bit more, considering they're getting to the Sweet 16, you know, a little more often. Going deeper in tournaments a little more often these last decades, right? Florida Gulf Coast, we've seen Middle Tennessee State take down Michigan State, St. Peter's in Kentucky, all the way to beating Purdue en route to almost beating North Carolina or just losing Elite Eight there. So there's a lot of interesting things. Max, give me the latest on UNC Asheville. And we're not even talking about Oral Roberts. How about them? Well, oh, that, yeah, I just you know, forgot them. Right? It's unbelievable how, how many upsets there have been lately. And that, that speaks to the volume of, of how tight it's been at the top of the country the parody. Uh, over the last few years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so UNC Asheville is a really good team led by a guy like Drew Pember. He's top 14 in scoring in the country, 21 points per game. He's an elite rebounder. He's elite on the defensive end. And he, he works his presence on the inside. At, at one of the best rates that you'll see in, in the NCAA. He's a serious NBA talent, and they'll go up against the Big South Player of the Year in Pember and a terrific scoring team in UNC Asheville. They're a top 15 uh, offense, uh, and and a lot of that scoring comes from not only on the inside, but they're also an elite three-point shooting team, believe it or not. So that's going to be a big key, being able to lock them down, not, not only on the inside, but around the perimeter. And, you know, get this. We talk about Drew Pember. He's really good at drawing attention and then heading in the free throw line. So that's that's why I opened up this show saying they have to be able, UCLA has to be able to stay out of foul trouble against a guy who his bread and butter is at the free throw line. And over his last three games, he's averaging 29.6 points per contest. He's a really, really good scorer. He will get his. You have to be able to limit everybody else from getting theirs. Um, and one of the, one of the ways that, you know, UCLA will be able to beat this team is working turnovers and getting out on the break. Uh, UNC Asheville is last in the big South in in, uh, turnovers, they give the ball up. Um, they, they don't pass the ball very well. They don't take care of it. And UCLA is really good at forcing turnovers. So it's defense, 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 defense in that first matchup. And then it's a similar story against Gonzaga. If they're able to move on, Drew Timmy, six foot ten, he will do something similar as Pimber. And you see that spin move left. Timmy is a real catch, man. So they they have a similar matchup in the first couple of rounds. They have to be able to get through these two teams, and they are no small task. In the Pac-12 tournament final, I think they made the comparison that Hawkes and Timmy have the same selection of moves. It's just Hawkes is three to four inches shorter and has it as like a small four, you know, small forward, power forward, you know, being an undersized power forward, especially in the college game. But what's interesting that you bring up the turnover and the three-point shooting, in March, if UNC Asheville comes out and finds their way and is not, you know, fearful of UCLA, this could be one of those games, how I think it may play out. UNC Asheville could be up, say, 38-32 at halftime. We've seen that in recent times where teams – it may be upset alert, down six. Heck, even UCLA struggled in the first round last year just to get past the zips. And then they had to grind it against St. Mary's. UCLA was down to the final minutes last year before they eventually eked it out and even down to the final minutes against North Carolina in the Sweet 16. So for UCLA, they could be down six. If UNC Asheville is hitting their threes, not turning it over, but what we generally see sometimes, even if a team plays well for 20 minutes, UCLA can come together defensively, even without a potential National Player of the Year defensively, and the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year, that is Jalen Clark. And even if Bona 
is not even still 100% yet. If you're turning it over that much, UCLA will eat you alive. And while there's different types of defense in terms of, all right, UCLA has to play extremely tough defense at the end of a tough game of a tournament. But when it comes to, if you're going to just cough it up, the Bruins, 90 billion percent of the time, it seems like this year, especially if you've only played them once, will find a way to turn you over and turn it into points. It's just a matter if UNC's, UNC Asheville's threes can counter that enough to go back down to the stretch to put UCLA in an uncomfortable spot, reaching the final media timeout at the under four minute mark. You're absolutely right. And, you know, you talk about experience. What, this is the third straight season that the Bruins have been in it um, and, and consistently favored. You know, the first year they made a run, right? Last year it was a little bit more expected. This year it's highly expected that they'll make a run. So, um, you know, Jaime Hawkes and Tiger Campbell have been there before. Mick Cronin is, in my opinion, one of the top coaches of, of the year. And um, if it weren't for maybe Jerome, Jerome Ting over at, uh, you know, at, at Kansas State, you know, I think he'd be up for the coach of the year um, spot. But, um, you know, I, I, I think that this UCLA team, once again, has all the makings to make a, a serious run. Uh, but they have to put it together, and the matchups don't necessarily help the Bruins. Uh, and I think that that's what we've seen, the parody throughout this this tournament. The, the, the selection committee said, okay, we'll give a lot of these teams some more difficult matchups, teams that are polarizing in the first or second round because we want to make – you know, make it difficult and see the most out of out of these programs when they handle adversity. The Bruins haven't handled a ton of adversity this year until the last month of the season. And March has not been fun for UCLA as of late, you know, losing some of their best and uh, especially falling short in the Pac-12 championship. But yeah, it's it's certainly been a, you know, when it, it gets mad in March. We get mad and unfortunately the Bruins haven't had their best. But again, it comes down to one, can the Bruins force the turnovers, and can they limit UNC Asheville's threes, and can they make the other teams mad as opposed to them being the mad ones, right? Outcried for the one seed. Oh, Jalen Clark out for the year, and then it's technically, I guess, leaked that he's out for the year. Mick Cronin didn't really romp that out probably until after Selection Sunday, but either way, the two seed in the West makes it for an interesting, interesting battle for UCLA basketball. For Max Kelton, I'm Zach anderson Yoxheimer. We once again thank you for making Locked On UCLA your first listen each and every day. And, and you know, hey, go hit that subscribe button on YouTube. Thanks for making it your first listen. We appreciate you. And we'll have some excellent content throughout March and throughout this tournament run for UCLA hoops, the men and the women. And when football becomes interesting again, you know, spring practice coming up, we'll talk about that again. Meantime, go check out the Locked On College Basketball Bracket Breakdown. National analysis on Locked On College Basketball with the Bracket Breakdown Show. It's already out, I believe. Go check it out. It's on any Locked On College Basketball channel and where you get your podcasts and on YouTube, the Locked On College Basketball Breakdown. Andy Andy Patton, Isaac Shade, excellent, excellent hosts. So for Kelton, I'm Anderson Yoxheimer, Zach, and Max. Everything. We're going crazy here on Locked On UCLA. It clap time, baby. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You. C-L-A, UCLA, fight, fight, fight. This has been Locked On UCLA. Go Bruins.